When you go to San Francisco. I got five on it. Yeah. <laughs> Messing with that. And I mean, so many elements of this movie just brought me back to really great moments in life. Cameo. That music cameos. There's cameo cameos. There's the imagery of the city. I don't know if you know this, Philip. We'll get into what we're talking about in a second, but my introduction to the United States was San Francisco as the city. Ooh. My first U.S. touchdown. Pacific side, huh? Yeah, I remember all the details of flying into San Francisco Airport, SFO, and landing over the bay. Yeah, you think you're going to land in the middle of some water, and then all of a sudden this strip, (laughs) this runway strip's there waiting for you. Beautiful art pieces in that airport. I like it. It, it's, It's a really... It was, at least from what I remember, a beautiful town, a beautiful, of beautiful historical significance, and I just, I looked forward to every visit, because we lived in San Jose for three to four years, so San Francisco was about a 45 to 50 minute drive, you'd go up through Sunnyvale and uh, Salinas and Cupertino and all those weird names that I'm starting to remember. Surf's dude. Yep. Yeah, Northern California is a special place, or at least it was, but uh, some people are intent on making it what it was, or holding on to what it was more than others. Yeah, I love San Francisco. My mom lives there, so we get to visit usually yearly. We just got back from Thanksgiving, which is their rainy season during the November Thanksgiving. I thought it was their rainy season all year long. I thought it was like mini Seattle. No, no, it's actually foggy a lot Mm -hmm. of times, but it's... uh, yeah, sometimes it goes dry there, but it, it the weather stays are like around 60s, 70s, usually during the day. So it's it's even in the summer, it's really nice and refreshing from the ocean. It's nice, man. I love San Francisco. It's got a, it's got a vibe to it. It's got an energy, you know. Yeah. Um. But why, yeah, why are we talking so much San Francisco? You <laughs> I might know, ask. Right. We're talking about a movie called The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and it's a very very good movie. I think it's a very overlooked movie. It was made recently in 2019. Um, here we're in 2020 still just getting around to just it. Just getting started. It feels like it's been yeah. two or three years, but uh, we're only in mid-February. Yeah. And uh, this is an Amazon Prime movie. It's now streaming on Amazon Original. Prime. Yeah. And it's a two-hour movie, one minutes, rated R. And uh, it's a it's an interesting movie. I think so. It's been on your mind for quite some time. Yeah. You've watched it three times it's- in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I know. I was watching it this morning just to get like that Refresher. flavor. Yeah, just get the get it on the palate. It is uh it is very artsy movie. Um to open up with before we get into the the details of it. I was a little hesitant going into even talking about this movie or or wanting to watch it because it's a I knew it was going to be a heavy drama from reading the synopsis. <laughs> I I knew what I was getting into and I'm not a big drama guy. But I feel as I age and as I get older and transition away from, you know, uh, action and comedies meaning more to me than they should and sci-fi meaning more to me than, than it should, I am revisiting more dramas from the 80s and 90s than I can ever remember. And I'm finding some really juicy ones that I'm sure we'll talk about in future episodes that I really resonate with as time passes by. And it's great to see that drama is not lost in the modern era. Uh, there are specific movie studios that are catering to them more more than others. They're, A24. Yeah, shout-outs to A24 and Plan B to a certain degree who picked this movie up and pitched it to A24, and they got the rights to it and put this out. 
very quickly in uh, in quick order once they were uh, introduced to what the story was about and who was behind it. They were behind it all the way, and this thing Plan B for the win, Brad Pitt. This thing wrapped up three days later after after film uh, filming wrapped up. It was premiering at Sundance, uh, from what I hear the director's comments on it. So for nice. something to go move that quickly, and that's it, Joe Talbot. Joe Talbot, director of Last Land. Last First Black movie, it's his debut. <laughs> it's a hell of a debut. It is. It is, man. It's. It's the. I was telling uh, Sasha that this is the kind of movie that I would have loved to have directed. Like this is something that, it just the story was very dear to like. I don't know if it's because I grew up as a minority in a poverty stricken area. Yeah. Um, it had a different, definitely different flavor than my middle school upbringing, high school upbringing, uh, being at San Antonio. Uh, but San Francisco, definitely, I understand that flavor because my mom lives there. I, I visit often. Um, I, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm like the uh, historical guy on it or the guy that can say, oh, you're a San Francisco or not. Like, you're a San Franciscan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even though I'm a 49ers fan. These guys all are, three. right? Uh, the the two main guys, the director, Joe They're Talbot, all, yeah. and uh, Jimmy Fails, the fourth. A lot of the stars, too. Even uh, Danny Glover's from Danny uh, Glover's from San, San Francisco. Francisco. Yeah, so... Um, th- it seemed like there was definitely a, like a local kind of uh, pride in this movie. Oh when, yeah. Um, when you look at the um, when you look at the PR, like the public um, interest in this movie, it seems to always go back to the city and how proud they were of their own boys coming up um, with yeah. shooting the city and how it was shot and um, and a lot of it, I would say, seems to center around the idea of gentrification for in this sure. Movie. Um, if you don't know what this movie is about, please go and watch it before you uh, listen to the rest of this because yep. um, I think that there, even though it is a drama, it does have some mystery in it. Oh, yeah. Um, and you y- definitely you don't only, ruin the surprises. In, in the opening minute and a half, you're presented with uh, a man in a hazmat suit walking down the streets of San Francisco yeah. and you're like, what the heck's going on? Well, and, a, little, a little black girl looking at the yeah. white guy in a hazmat suit and she's just staring up with her backpack yeah. with her smile. And, and a nice slow-mo sequence follows. Yeah. And then she skips away, um, and she's holding a flower. It's very iconic, very, um, yeah, I guess you could say it's artsy, but I, I don't know if I would call it artsy, but I do feel like it's a, it's a love and hate letter to the, the idea of what a San, what a San Francisco is to the city, but there, it's so much more than just that. That's what I, oh, yeah. I love this movie, because it's not just one thing, as it also tries to tell um, us as human beings that we're not just one thing. Um, the reason I say artsy is because I can't remove myself from viewing it like it's a a Wes Anderson movie with with African American players in it. Mm. Yeah, there it, it it has the vibes of a good Wes Anderson movie with a more urban tone to it. Mm. I, I can. I can kind of see that just because of some of the shots are like very symmetrical. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are definitely shots in the movie that I believe that, and it might be a little bit because of the color tone that they've ta- taken as far as the palette. Um, but Wes Anderson always feels a little bit more quirky, okay. a little bit more hipster yeah, uh, for my life. This one feels uh, very much like the city is 
Um, and I was telling you, I loved how it was very realistic but magical at the same time. It was um, lovely but grimy. Um, it, it, it's like the love-hate there seems to be that duality in the city seems to really be present in the way that they filmed it. And it's really there, too. In, yeah, in I can reality, feel it. it is there. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because I've been there frequently. I kind of understand a little bit of the, uh, of the dichotomy of the city, but I wouldn't say that, again, I'm the master of that. I, I don't live there presently day yeah. in, day out. But it is a it is a very poignant debut and a very ballsy debut, especially for a couple of, of kids in the game. Local boys. Yeah, and they're also in both in their late 20s, I want to say, maybe early 30s. Um, yeah, something along those lines. And, um, you know, they're friends. And they did it together. Friends. They did the short movie together because Joe Talbot only has uh, the short American Paradise in 2017 um, listed as his director. Filmography. Um, like filmography, a short, and then this one. Nice. And then you have Jimmy Fails, um, which is his name in the movie, Jimmy Fails the Forest. Yes. Um, now, he, the story is based on real events that took place in his life, partially real events. Yes. He has a, uh, in general, a two-sentence summary is that Jimmy Fails is sort of a uh, a wanderer in the streets of San Francisco who lives with a friend of his. Uh, his friend's name is uh, Montgomery. Montgomery Mont. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mont play, sure, yeah, played by Jonathan Moses, who's really phenomenal in this movie. Jonathan Majors. Majors, my yeah. bad. Okay. Yeah, no, and he's actually the I would say the veteran player. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, Danny Glover is, but he's got such a small amount of uh, screen time. But and you've got Rob Morgan too, who yeah. lends some seniority and some stability to some exactly. of the scenes. But of these two main actors, yeah, uh, Majors definitely has a lot more screen credits. I'll go over a little bit if you want. Um, as far as his, he was in Hostiles in 2017. He was in White Boy Rick in 2018. Out of Blue in 2018, Jungle Land in 19. He's been working Gully in 19, Captive State in 19, uh, The Heart of They Fall in 20. And Captive, then Captive State is an underrated movie. Yeah, Jonathan Majors. Movie. That's Montgomery. Montgomery, who Jimmy, plays Jimmy Fails' best friend. Yeah, and Jimmy Fails, he was just in American Paradise in 2017. This movie, and then Pieces of a Woman um, soon to come out. So yeah. It's, he hasn't really been in many, as far as an actor is concerned. Um, I went through, because I guess they wrote this and directed, or he helped... He didn't really direct this, but just helped write this movie. Oh, for sure. Based on his uh, real events, this has been uh, a long-time sort of childhood story that they were kicking around from when they were friends. Uh, Jimmy was letting Joe Talbot know that there was this house in San Francisco that he always wanted to repurchase that was part of the family, and he strove to really just get it back in his possession. That's the gist of it, and that's the gist of this movie, but of course there's a lot more uh, going on in the film version than I'm sure in reality uh, occurred, but yeah, it's basically about these two guys, two very different personalities who are best friends, are best friends and support each other every step of the way to realize each other's dreams, uh, and one dream takes precedence over the other, and that dream is reacquiring a home that means something to Jimmy's character, uh, and he's willing to go to any extent to recapture 
that semblance of, of what that place meant to him and what it means to his future and the city as well. Uh, it's, it's really a symbol for a much larger discussion because of all of the gentrification issues in San Francisco that are going on. The fact I think that everywhere, honestly, it is. But um, San Francisco is arguably one of the hardest hit places because of the Silicon City. Valley push. Um, it's it's constantly changing New York City. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Brooklyn. I mean, there's. It, I really do believe. I mean, you could even look in our good city of Dallas. Um, you could say it's happening to Oak Cliff. Dallas tries to do it respectively. <laughs> They'll put like a million dollar home and then right across the street is like uh, one of the ones from the 70s. So yeah. they try. No, nah, So it's. I think gentrification happens everywhere and it's happening faster. Just in certain places, it's happening faster. Or we should certain probably places explain uh, baseline yeah. understanding what gentrification is. It's It's essentially the overhaul of major urban areas to accommodate for... A growing economy, uh, renovations um, to You're being buildings. nice about it. Basically, rich okay. people taking over <laughs> poor people's spaces and then Urban renewal. And that's what it's called. But basically, rich people come into a poor space, like basically the hood, and buys up everything and then just bulldozes it over. Out. And they make whatever they want. They put up their Starbucks. They put up their big you know, yep. buildings, nice apartments, their big houses. And that's how they do it. That's how they get cheap prices, and they they buy low and they sell high. You remember what the pioneers did to the Indians? It's kind (laughs) of the same thing three, four, five, six hundred years later. It kind of is, and that's one of the story. I think that's one of the better quotes in there. It's like, you know, you never really own shit. That's what it says. You really don't, because even the people that came in and bought the house they get booted out of the house the Um, affluent uh well we're led to believe affluent white family yes that that lives there the older um whiter crowd yep and so like you kind of you get to know this because jimmy fells is is going to the house and painting the house right so he's He's still trying to take care He's of it. He's attached to it. Yeah, he can't. He he doesn't like it that they're not painting the window sills, or you know, it, the rails are periwinkle and not black. You know, he knows every detail of this house. It's something that's consumed him, and it's one of those things that I believe that um, I believe in people. Sometimes we tell ourselves lies, or lies to get us through somewhere to fix fixate on a point. We give ourselves a, a, a goal of some sort that may not be really good for us you know like for him i think it was a source of strength but also a weakness because it also kept him in this box and and in the end like we're not in this box let's push the box out right we're not all just one thing and jimmy fails was just all about this one thing and he couldn't let it go and he just believed in something that wasn't even real his the whole the whole time He's telling the story about how his grandfather came back from World War II and built, and built this house with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's constantly being confronted by several sources in the movie telling him that's, that's not, not true. Case. Yeah, there's a tour guy that comes up. A know, realtor as well. Yeah, a realtor. Uh, they, that's how his friend finds the deed on when it was actually built. And it was built way before 1947. When right. his grandfather came back or whatever. But he needs it as addition. He may even know that there's some semblance of he truth knows. to it. But he needs it as motivation to keep on his mission. Stay out of trouble. I mean, when you that think about too. it, I mean, uh, during this film, one of his friends 
gets shot. Well, yeah, let's introduce that friend yeah. because oh, um, the third main character in this movie, who is arguably one of the one of my favorite parts of the film, uh, Jamal is his character's name. True love, Jamal. True love, but it's coffee. Oh, Kofi, that's right. Kofi's Kofi. the character. Jamal True Love's the actor. Yeah. Do you know this guy's backstory? Yeah. Um, I heard them talk about it on an interview. How Crazy, he was huh? wrongly accused. Of and, murder. Yeah. Six years prison time mm-hmm. released, and the San Francisco Police Department uh, reaches a settlement with him for $10 million prior to him walking on to some auditions for some kids that were part of a scene where they're throwing uh, food, I think, at Jimmy. And Jamal Trulove walks on and says, what's going on? And uh, he says, we're filming a movie. And he just sits down and reads a little bit of the script. And the Kofi character is part of the pages that he reads. And he says, this is me, bro. Like, the words on this page speak to me on a level that I need to be involved in this. And that... the. Th- that needs to be commemorated. Uh, these guys that made this movie, to be able to pick up a guy off the streets who really, I don't know what his acting history is like. I don't even know that he's got one. Um, but if he has any. No, this is his only movie. I okay. Looked it up. So to pick up a guy who's going to be in your debut with some pretty reputable names Mike Epps in this movie, Danny Glover's in this movie, Rob Morgan's in this movie, A24 supporting it. For them to say, you're going to be one of the main leads, because he is a main lead in this film, in my opinion, and a real a real heart of the story in many ways, uh, because of this movie is very vulnerable, especially not just to the African-American young male community, but it's vulnerable to all men. Uh, it, it, uh, it sheds a light on... Yeah. I think, I think even... As I, I think it actually the vulnerability part, um, I definitely I think it's shared with all peoples, even women. Yes, I think. But uh, it's a my problem. wife watched this. It's and a problem she, in the African American community. I think it's a problem with uh, I think poverty stricken males. I okay. believe not just African American. I think if I think a lot of the things we need to get rid of this idea that um, race is really kind of like the the race culture kind of uh, separates us when really it's. It's been for a long time class, you know, it's really been money. And when we're all poor, we're all kind of in the same area, whether you're black, white, or Asian, or Mexican, whatever um, race you happen to be. But we all feel this, for some reason, I feel it's in the poverty-stricken areas, this this uh, men being uh, super tough. Well, I guess that's what know? I'm saying is that a lot of that does bleed into why it affects the African community a little bit more is because... 80s, 90s, 2000s. Well, I can't say Hispanic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But there's a certain portrayal in films, uh, in music, and in media of what the black man or the the young black man is is portrayed as. And kids watching this for the longest time, it's the old cliche. Like, if kids watch that, they grow up to be that because it's all that they've seen, it's all that they know. And it really takes a powerful individual to eclipse that. But in order to eclipse that, you need support from your community, you need support from your closest friends, you need friends who are willing to have some of those conversations with you, like you see these characters in this movie having. This is, you need uh, the rebels. We said this about Contagion, uh, that it should be a movie showed in schools. This should be a movie showed in schools as well. Uh, this should be a movie that fifth, 
sixth and seventh graders, there's a lot of language in it. But besides that, there's not a lot of questionable stuff. There's no violence. There's no sex scenes. It's well, just language. Because I think we, I've read, you know, when I was growing up, we read a few books that are quite similar to this story, kind of as far as this the, is a coming of age story. Coming of age story that was then poverty stricken urban living people who are watching the world around them move past them and they want to catch up desperately. This is a movie that shows them a certain path to to getting there. Yeah, well, I definitely think it's important to, and um, I'm a, bit a, a big advocate for, you know, I do feel like sometimes men don't have, or like young men don't have a lot of mentors um, to help them figure out, like, what's the false manhood, right? Like, right. that's kind of what this movie is a little bit about, too. Like, with the coffee character, you see him being kind of bullied by his own friends for yeah. like running away from the situation gang. yeah i wouldn't you know it's a click or you don't really know if it's a real gang they just hang out all the time in this Fair. one street you know just hanging out all the time and so like you see them you know talking smack to him i mean this happens a lot to guys we talk a lot of smack to each other but it doesn't mean that we don't love each other but i think that in this but in it's this, all they do yeah. all they do is talk smack they're yeah. not having and he's an easy target beyond. because he see that's the game is that you can't show that it, it that it gets to you and he kind of shows it gets to him so they egg it on even more yeah so it's like this game that for some reason young men play with each other to kind of like hey you know toughen each other up somehow and it's that's not how you build relationships you not know at all. And I love that this movie shows the other friendship between um, between Jimmy and between Mont, Mont yeah. that they're so different. And Mont is is this kid that sees the world as a theater play. You know, he's he's constantly seeing um, you know the kids playing with the rocks and stuff, and he, and you see him drawing them with the red curtain around them. It's it's beautiful how he sees the world. I I really love to. S- I love his little sayings that he has. They're very profound. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have Jimmy, who, again, is he's completely clutched onto this house. It's his dream, you know? And it's kind of admirable, and, and it's charming to see somebody who who loves something so much is an intense, intensely passionate about something. So you kind of forgive it. Like, you, you kind of just... It's it's just like a like a little weird thing that he does, but it's kind of charming while he's doing it because he's a very caring person. He... You see that he takes care of uh, elderly people, um, and with the most caring touch, like you know, he's taking off her pants for one. Mm-hmm. She's an older lady. She's like, "Oh, you're nice," and he's like, "Oh, thanks. You're a nice lady." She's like, "Oh, but you're not my husband." And he's like, "Oh, you're a little too young for me." Yeah, right. You know, he vo- does he volunteer or does he work at that group home? Um, I don't think it really. Um, I think he definitely works there for sure because the you find out that he pays a little bit more than okay, half of the that's rent. That's right. Yeah, he is paying you know? rent at Danny Glover's place, who plays yeah. Mont's dad. Yes, or, yeah. or his granddad, grandfather. I think. Yeah, who's blind in the movie, right? And it's it, again. There's so many charming little things. This movie, like when they're watching the movie, and he's explaining what's happening on the television yeah, to his absolutely. granddad. That's a great scene. Yeah, yeah, it's very endearing, you know. And you always you you can still see that Jimmy is still a little bit further away. He's not on the couch, and he's hearing it, and he tries to be a part of the conversation. Um, but he's, and he's definitely a part of it all, but he still feels like it's not his, it's not his home. Exactly. And that's honestly what this movie is. The prevalent theme for me is it's what is home for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
So I don't think that you have to know about San Francisco to appreciate this movie. You can take this in a context. What's the flavor of your city? Because every city does have a flavor. I've been to quite a few. And there's always something to really like be proud of, but also to hate. And again, that's well, what the, the part that people hate is that the parts that they're proud of are disappearing more and more because yes. of, of that word, that ugly word, gentrification. Yeah. So, yeah, um, it's it is a very interesting main theme to this film. And uh, I opened this up uh, a couple of weeks ago when we started our discussions by calling you on the phone and saying, uh, we're going to talk a lot about gentrification. And then you stopped me and you said. Uh, it's not just about that, though. The The movie's not just about that. And I was at the hour mark of the film, so then I watched the second half. And yeah, the, the second half of this movie is about artistic expression. It's about uh, finding the lane to open up to friends, to open up to people for support systems. Maybe even, uh, to a certain degree, bringing in people that you don't see eye to eye with and having conversations with them. Like when they bring Kofi into the home and they sit down and they have, they, they smoke a couple of blunts and they have a real conversation about yeah, life Asana. with a guy that was just making fun of them in the streets and mm-hmm. arguably is like the, the antagonist to, to their positions, but they're all really friends. Uh, they're all, yeah, you find they out, have this unspoken yeah. bond amongst them that they never spoke on. And all it takes, is is speaking to get into those zones and into those uh yeah an open hand really yeah exactly an olive branch and that's kind of what mont's there for because jimmy even though it's you find out that jimmy and kofi were in a in a home together group home, in a group yeah. home and they were telling some stories and even mont didn't know and so their history goes back to something that even mont didn't have with jimmy right. and that kind of allowed jimmy to open up but then in the very next day, you see Kofi back with his friends after they've shared, uh, you know, a little bit of intimacy, I would say, as far yeah. as friends go. He's right back to talking. He, he talking actually smack. uses some of the information that they offered up that night to really Against dig at them. him. Yeah, about, mm-hmm. you know, his father and things like that. And that's what really got to him. Mm-hmm. And But you always, what was great about the actor that played Kofi, what I loved is that you never, you knew that he wasn't really ever saying it maliciously. You you kind of saw that he was saying it to protect himself almost protect from his, his own image. friends. His like image. he was worried about eating, being eaten by sharks himself, that he became a shark just to, you know, stay with the crew. And you never really saw him, you know, enjoy what he was doing. You saw the sadness, the, the regret yes. in his eye somewhere. Like that was super good of that actor. I mean... It, it seemed so real. Yes. It was good that they spotted this guy off the street. It's crazy. Very fortuitous that they spotted a truth in him. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like that. And I love that um, Mont, when after that scene, he's drawing them at the kitchen table or whatever while Jimmy's like mixing the Are you really batter. drawing them? He says. Yeah. yeah Are well, you really drawing them? Yeah. And he, uh, it's, it's, I know which quote you're going with yeah, here. Yeah, I love that quote, man. It's He says that, just because they were mean to me doesn't mean I I get to appreciate them. I you shouldn't know? appreciate them. I shouldn't appreciate them. them. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was so profound. He's like, that's so right. Because he, there's even a time when he goes up to them and they're bullying him. And he goes, you're okay. 
you're okay. Well, he he treats them as if they're, they're the actors. actors in his play, and yeah. he positions them, and he says, "You guys are doing a great job, by the way." Yeah. And uh, we'll have to touch on the fact that Mont is probably on the spectrum uh, as far it's possible. Yeah, on the yeah he he definitely is. Um, he he has a sense of of extreme art expressiveness that dominates his life over everything, and I think I think that. Those those people see life a different way than all of us, and that I don't know. I don't know if he's on the spectrum, but I do know what you're saying. He just has this gift of seeing life a different way. Yeah, and I love that about him. It's it's very charming that he was able to like block the characters and tell, and he and he used it in a way that was smart enough to put them off like they didn't really know what to do or say yeah. it really interrupted everything and he kind of saved saved him he knew what he was doing he was saving him but he was still because all of this you find out in the very climax of the movie that he has been designing this play the whole time mm-hmm. and he never could really get the nail the ending until they moved into that house uh, so the older white couple get ousted out of the house yes. and they devise this plan to just basically squat in. in there. Yep. Yeah, they're going to squat in because it could take years for the settlement to happen. Right. And so... But they, they squat respectfully. Like they are yeah. They are fixing they the, the place up. up. They pay the electric. <laughs> yeah. They take care of the place because it means something to them. They're not just traditional squatters looking for a roof over their yeah. head. They they get all the old furniture that used to be in there. Their when plan is coming there. to fruition. There's no way Jimmy's got the millions of dollars or the down payment to actually no. move into this place. But still, it's, it's his dream. And there's nothing that's going to get in the way yeah. of him realizing that. And, and honestly, he attained his dream. He did. He got it for with a the brief help moment. of Mont as well, because mm-hmm. I don't think that dream is attained at all without his friend's assistance and the camaraderie that they have along the way. It's crazy. Yeah, I love that. Even the beginning scene when they, you know, when the preacher's opening up and saying that this water is as dirty as the devil's mouth. Like, and now they're coming over here, and you know, he's like, let's skate. And they're like skating together on the skateboard. And yep. like, there's this story, like, there's he's never got his been, hands on his shoulder. Yeah, because it's like nobody's ever skateboarded, like, two people on a board. Like, yeah. they even asked their friend from Thrasher that was in San Francisco, like, how do you do this, man? Like, let's, they had to figure it out because it's, um, it's kind of like a, it's a nice little opener with the nice uh, music coming up and you see the people's faces looking at them having different reactions as well as like that crazy uh, naked guy that's getting naked and he's like, take me with you. It's like a, starting a revolution, you know, it's like it was it gets you kind of in the it gets you in the feels, man, it gets you going like, OK, all right, what's going on here? But when he finally gets in that house, you can see the elation on him, like how happy he is. I mean, he falls on his face and he's bleeding, but he's so content and happy that it doesn't even matter. Yeah. He's looking at the witch's hat, you know, from inside and he has everything he's ever wanted. And so I, I really love that he did get what he wanted for one shining brief moment. He actually got around the loophole and the, the the only thing left for him to under to like learn and that was from his friend Mont like when they put on that play so that's like the whole climax of this right like all of this has been getting to this one place like Jimmy you don't live here anymore but well, they, they hold so the much play more. they yeah. hold the play at the house like in an attic upstairs and they invite some of the members yeah. of the town to and friends to come and view it and I want to say maybe forty people show up. 
and they sit him down in this really kind of nice and endearing setting yeah. in, in the upstairs attic of this yeah. home. Oh, well, we forgot to say coffee got killed. Oh, yeah. Coffee uh, got shot. Yeah, if Philip's brief spoiler earlier, Sorry. his blurb uh, was not enough. Uh, Kofi did get shot. So what happens is there's a confrontation in the streets between Jimmy, Mont, and the group of guys that are sort of the the local bullies or the local teasers who have been teasing them this whole movie long. And there's this really emotional scene where it looks like they're about to have a physical confrontation because of Kofi's death. And then the the bully or one of the members of the bully squad just breaks down and can't emotionally contain himself anymore. And he falls in uh, Jimmy's arms basically crying heavily over the loss of his friend uh, and and someone who meant a lot to him but I think it's it's the overwhelming sense of regret for him uh, the overwhelming sense of loss um, and and just everything hitting him in the face at that moment that yeah I I did not handle this respectfully at all and now my friend is gone and I may be a part of it because uh fast forward to the play uh the question that he has for Mont I believe um is did I lead to Kofi's did death did I hard. push him too hard and he's yeah. taught what he's talking about there is image he's just talking about like did we as a group enforce our image of life too hard up- upon him did we yeah. did we project that too much on this guy who had so much to offer to the world but wanted to just fit in somewhere that he sacrificed who he was to blend in with us and we took it away from him we we took away his his life the answer is yes. Yes, the answer is yes. Yes, that was the whole point, is that when he put on that play, he was both of the characters, right? He played on one half of his really face cool coffee, scene. and the other half was, I guess you would say, the leader. Yeah, um, I don't remember that, guy, that character's name. I forget he's his name, He's got face too. tats. Yeah, he's got face tats. I've seen, I feel like I've seen him before. Yeah, but, maybe in, in a hip-hop yeah. video. I, I believe he is a frequent... The uh, whole the go- whole gang looks like they could be in a hip-hop video with do. the eye patch, man. Yeah. I mean, then I think you got he was Kofi. in Criss Cross. You got Kofi who's got like a, a centaur, a centaur rat tail going on. I really like that guy though. Jamal True True, True Love. Love. Yeah. Yeah. He should uh he should definitely get picked up for some other roles in the future. Yeah, he brought he brought some death to it. He brought some realness to it because like I said Kind of reminds me of a young Cuba Gooding a little bit. He could. He could be. Yep. He's a little bit taller than that. But Fair. I, I love that um that they went there with this, that they showed that men, a lot of times when they're going up, they put on this front, this facade, right? And it's like, not just image, but it's like, I that's what you're led to believe. And the whole time they're like, you know, they're they're running up on him the whole time, like, oh, you ran away? Is that who you are? Of course, they're shouting, expl- yeah, they're ex- shouting expletives Sorry, at him. that's the first expletive. I know, right? I was trying to hold it in. You punk I'm beat. glad you did it. That's all right. You can um, edit it But out. yeah, they're, you know, they're getting on him like that, yeah. messing with him, and he's like, nah, man, We've all nah, been whatever. There. We've yeah. all been there. We felt that pressure of... of having to fit into various social groups in order to just have a place to be. That's home for them. Yeah, I mean... Home is that social group. Stressful. Yeah. It's stressful trying to find your your place to fit in a world with shells that don't. 
So it's like when he's there, it, you know that he ran up on somebody because that's what they were saying. Like he ran up on somebody. Yeah. They pulled a gun because he was trying to prove himself. That's kind of what it really is, right? Young men are always trying to prove themselves some sort to themselves and to others. And sometimes you can't, you, you just can't let that lead you to make bad decisions like that. And I, I do think they pushed him too hard into thinking that that's what he was supposed to do. And that's, yeah. And he did it to the wrong people, and that's what happened. Man, and you hear the gunshots, too. You yeah, hear them with via Mike Day Day. Epps. Yep. <laughs> that's what I was, Mike Epps is like, like a homeless, uh, I want to say he's just a homeless guy who lives uh, in his he car. He lives in a car. Well, yeah, I car. guess you can't be homeless. if. You, yeah, there's the underlying ho- uh, theme that all of these characters want a home. Are basically homeless. And they all have unique homes. Yeah, San Francisco is very expensive. Like, I know people that live just like that and like um the way that montgomery is living in a and basically in the garage yeah halved half the garage right where him and uh it's messed Jimmy up live in. but it it, is, they they it's a lot of money to live like it's that, messed dude. up i read a statistic that six percent of the population in san francisco are natives from the 60s and 70s and that the rest have all been pushed out that is pretty disgusting sure. um and the the more the more abrasive part of it is that i'm sure people are are speaking out against it but it's not stopping any of it that's the part that i can't wrap my head around is that the the pain that these people are feeling from being driven from the only homes that they've ever known is not quantified at all by the people coming in and taking over their homes it literally is pioneer days again but with bigger buildings or with buildings period and computers and lack of empathy and and very i mean i don't want to i don't want to speak too harshly against the the tech realm and the tech boom that we've experienced in the last 15 to 20 years but there is 100% a sense of detachment from that world and from the inner workings of that world no matter your position whether you're a tech ceo or you're just a a newly uh introduced programmer who's getting his handle on things there is a shared sense of and pick my words wisely here rejection of the natural world uh maybe those weren't the right words but they're very close to it uh they want to break away from they want to live isolated lives they want to be removed from having an involvement with social activity uh they're uh, they're for the most part a large group of people that want to occupy cities but not necessarily live in the cities that existed there to begin with they want to change everything about that city because their mentality it, right? because their mentality is that their life their home is arguably behind a computer screen and behind a keyboard where they have the freedom to change everything that they see in front of them directly and that bleeds into the public sector of their existence and so I notice this in a lot of conversations I have with members of this community. They are microanalytical. They are very meticulous in breaking things down in in find things in the natural world. They'll break them down to a a minutia that you didn't even know existed and doesn't necessarily need to exist. And the reason being, the reason why they do that is because it's it's who they are. It, it it's their conditioning system. That's part of the reason why they're there. Right. Yes, but it is 
resources. It is daunting because the world accommodates that now because of finances. If you, we've catered to the tech boom. Uh, these are basically the gold rush miners of. I, there's a reason why in well, computing you're, you're a mining already. You're yeah. a little late to that gold rush. It's, yeah, right. That was in the late nine, 1999, right? Well, they're still but <laughs> they're still handing over six-figure oh. salaries to people who know how to create drop-down windows and how to how to well, build this a website. A little, it's a little off topic. I might have to edit this part out, That's fine. but I mean just to kind of give you an idea of what it is though, like um, when you think about it, though, if you accumulate wealth, then you have the power to change what you want. You can buy up what you need. You have more of a voice if you have more money. So it's not I don't really fault them for making something that they want to make the way they want to. What I do fault is I wish that they would consider anthropology a little bit more they and can't. think about the culture that you, you might can't. be squashing. They cannot. Well, they, they can if they're taught the right way so like be a part of new orleans right don't try to change it be a part of it they neurologically cannot it's like san francisco has been shaped by this for so long though it almost feels like it's integrated a little bit i know that people are getting pushed out Mm -hmm. but you know it feels like it is a very techie place like it seems like it's a little bit progressive Mm -hmm. in certain ways so not all the things are bad in in what happens in gentrification but there are bad things that happen in it for sure and it's a definite thing that happens. And, you know, I, I don't know what, to, we don't really know what to do about it because in our system today that there's going to be power in somebody's hands, how do you say where the power lies? And I guess what we've said is basically in money, even though money isn't really power, but it does give you a lot of options, you know? So if you want to change that, you know, you got to make the money to change that. If you want to create, if you want a New Orleans to stay the same way, Louisiana, you'd have to have somebody with money to buy it to make sure it stays that way. Because at any time, like it, like this, like this movie says, nothing is never really truly ours, right? Because when you die, even though you bought everything, somebody might come in a hundred years later and change it. I mean, yeah, rulers have done this forever. So, you know what is yours though is is the art that you leave behind. I don't think anyone can change that. Well, there's it, elements the 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 bricks that and the window sills that are painted by Jimmy and the changes that he makes to that home. I I remember the end scene when they uh I, I think Mont is creeping in the house after it's been bought or it's an open house or something like that and there's been some renovations inside that have been made and he startles the the couple that's in there he jumps out of the bookcase and scares them yeah. a little bit i think that was the director's uh high school uh teacher actually I think really it was an art teacher or something. oh that's cool <laughs> yeah but you can tell that some of the details in the renovations that were made uh, have been overhauled, but there's still some semblance of Jimmy's work there, whether it's on the exterior or the interior. So in a weird way, that's the that's the part of gentrification that I, I hope is rebelled with, uh, is that there's enough of a lasting impact in the cities that are being turned over and and renewed quote unquote mm-hmm. that the city still lives on regardless of that that want to change it and to overhaul it into someone else's vision or some other group's vision that the city itself retains because you can change you can change the fixtures you can change the look 
but you can't necessarily change the heart and yeah. and, and the the don't change the bones. the memory the memory of the city and yeah. that's where people can still have an impact. The people that have been kicked out of San Francisco and moved to surrounding areas, they can still revisit San Francisco. They can still, uh, they can still, yeah. they can but still introduce their movies to yeah. to the crowd in San Francisco. It's like still this bittersweet because you're not living there though. It's like you have to commute to get there. Yeah, you have to take a bus and train or something. And you know, I like what the director was saying, Joe Talbot. He was saying that they accidentally made a period piece. Because oh, yeah. gentrification is happening so quickly by the in time, real time that it was in theaters that a lot of the places they shot have been bulldozed down and there's new places put up. And so he said, I like what he said, that it felt like they were chasing ghosts and they were filming this movie. They were just basically racing because when they would scout out the location, it wouldn't be there in a month. It would be gone. So they had to like race against time to make sure that they had that location still. It so, just seems like it's so easy to do one of these two things and it's so hard to do the other. It's so hard to keep the historical significance of these cities, but it's so easy to bulldoze the buildings down and build new ones. And I don't, I don't, I can't say that I appreciate that, that imbalance in that. I get you. And you know, it's, when you go to San Francisco, you, you end up seeing a lot of beautiful architecture just like that. There's definitely a lot of flavor there. Mm-hmm. Um, all those houses are very much different, but somehow somewhat alike. It's very weird how each place... And, you know, it's it's cool because the place isn't very big, but it just everything is squeezed in there. It feels bigger than the actual amounts of miles it is across. Yeah. You know, and I, I love that feeling that you could just walk down the street and see, like, 20 different styles of living you know like the bohemian style or like you know what are the gingerbread trimmings on this house and they all have their own personalities and i think that's kind of what they were saying and i I love again i love the quotes in this movie like jimmy fells tells you know the girls on the bus at the end of the movie when he's saying that well you can't hate it unless you love it yeah that's a great quote yeah because the truth is that i think that's how most people feel and this is coming from somebody who's grown up in texas even though it was born in sacramento california mm-hmm. that texas very much has that like hey you can't that talk vibe. smack about okay. our our country basically texas is its own country at this point um but like we can talk a lot of smack if we want but you can't talk smack about our city this is our sanctuary you... we've been here the whole time we yeah. know it up and down yeah you're not allowed to come in here and, and talk pe- about it and people feel the same way about dallas fort worth or san antonio or houston like they don't want people moving from out of state here and changing the way of our life. You but know? they're let. But, but in a weird way, it's, it has. They're allowing people, it to happen. A lot of people from California have moved here. A lot of people during the New Orleans Katrina hurricane, they moved out this way and they stayed. So a lot of there has been a lot of migration from here. Even when Detroit went down, there was a lot of people moving to Texas. There's been a lot of work here. So you, I like that there's a melting pot here. But you do get this sense of like kickback from the natives in Texas. And I feel like I'm more of a native Texas. Don't mess with Texas. Yeah. Like let's keep it the way it is. You know, don't come here with your, you know, California ideals or Louisiana ideals, all these things. We're keeping it Texas. Like you, you conform to us. We don't conform to you. And you feel that in this movie too, in that gentrification, like we were talking about how it's been taken over 
and a lot of the flavor is being mashed out of the city um, as far as peoples go, right? Like, yeah. that's why I guess this movie's called Last Black Man in San Francisco. He's holding on for so long. He's the last one there, even though he doesn't live there anymore. It's it's never really been his family house, and he's known that. It's it, and, and he even says in the end, I think I've always known that. I just... I need to hear you say it like when he's talking to his dad. I need you to, and his dad won't even confirm that. His dad, played by the wonderful Rob Morgan, who's been yeah. in uh, some Marvel shows like Daredevil and Luke Cage, Stranger Things. He Stranger plays one of the things. cops. Yeah, he just must he's have everywhere. a deal with Netflix. He's in everything. He's got man. a deal with Netflix. <laughs> he's also got a hell of a radio voice. I don't know if you've ever heard an uh, interview no, from. Oh I man, haven't. I want that guy as a special guest on the film room, like consistently. <laughs> he's a great. I love just to a have very, that guy. He's a very pleasing voice to to just have here uh, talk about anything. Eating those sunflower seeds, like I don't know how people eat sunflower seeds where they just throw them in their one mouth of my like most, that. How do they do that? One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is his meeting with Jimmy in his apartment. Uh, first of all, that that beautiful the image image of him looking out the window that small with the stop sign or it says stay. Yeah, it's a stop sign symbol on on the side of a building that says stay, and that's just like that's the whole the whole point of the the underlying theme of the movie is begging the city begging people to stay, keep me alive. Begging, that's what I got from it. Begging Jimmy, really. I feel like and it's, Jimmy, yeah. It's almost like uh, that that uh scenery is like a manifestation of what's going on with jimmy like why he can't move on like he he doesn't want to leave he's not this place isn't for him anymore you know and he's and it's he's still in this box like everything about his dad is telling him to stay here be who the world wants you to be the city saying that right and even the house is saying that stay here this is what your family says that you're supposed to be everybody's telling him how he's supposed to be even his dad is like you still skating he's like oh no he even dresses differently for his dad when he goes see him when he goes and sees him at the scene that we're talking about it's all about image yeah because as a black guy i guess he's not allowed to dress as a hipster as a skater yeah like it's I mean, frowned upon by his his he can't fraternal. wear flannel yeah, yeah everybody it, makes fun of him where he goes the friends do even the guy that stole his car the one that yeah. lives you know day day basically it's all it's all <laughs> frowned upon by the world around him and this is an argument that i i find myself in so many times i don't know that the world around you is um, entitled to shape your image. I, I just, it's not. I, I, I'm just, uh, the older I get, the more I want ownership back of who I am versus giving into the world around me and saying, okay, have with me what you, what you will turn me into. I'll go to school. I'll become the role model citizen that the professor wants me to become. And then I'll fit into a, a job and a lane and I'll be that, that person on, on the assembly line of life for the rest of time i'll let my friends dictate what my likes and my fancies are i'll let my parents uh poke in and give me guidance into my 30s and 40s there's a there's a sense of ownership that an individual wants back once they reach a certain age that says okay i i've let you guys have this much of an impact on me up to this point i would like i would like to experience freedom from that at this at this stage at this interval in life i think you feel that when you move out uh, between 18 and 25 some people are moving out at a later time at this point yeah. but it's your first taste of freedom is when you move out but then your next taste of freedom might be when you when it just you wake up to the fact that you're in control of who you are 
and and not a lot of people even feel that man i feel like it's much later as far as okay i for most people it's when you start liking dramas no probably (laughs) i think it's when like um probably in your like you know mid to late 30s i think like when you when i think it you know what it it happens to anybody that has more important things to deal with. There you go. When you start that can realizing at any age. Yeah, it can, can happen ha- at any age exactly, but I think what really happens for at least for somebody that was distracted for most of his life like most people and especially even when your dad's trying to tell you like there's more important things, son. You're like, "No, there isn't." You know, cuz you think you know, you know more at that age and that's the whole cycle, right? Your dad or your mom or somebody that's older than you is always trying to tell you when you're young. Yeah. That's not that important. And you're like, you don't know. You don't but, know, son. You, yeah. Yeah. But, but then you're like, you don't know, dad. But they were right the whole time. And so you have to be, get older and but get those Will experiences under your belt. parents just don't understand. They don't. But kids just don't understand, really, when you think about it. Because they're young. They just came in. And we, if you think you know everything, you don't have nothing to learn then. You bet. So here's the point, though. Like that cycle of there of that being there you know it's it may not be broken right away but it's as long as you get through it safely and you get to the point where you're like you know what i'm not gonna let society dictate who i am or what they say i am you you still have to understand like the rules to how perception works because some somebody might see us dressed a certain way yeah absolutely and they might assume something yeah you still have to you can't be crazy and not think that hey if you're dressed like a police officer somebody's gonna mistake you for a police yeah, sure. officer right like that's that old joke that but Dave you Chappelle can, joke yeah but you can <laughs> but you can do the opposite you can dress like a bum and be an intellectual very easily of course but you have to understand that perception somebody might assume something or judge right in the beginning you have to understand you're gonna have to deal with that that's how society um Gets everybody's kicks. no that's how it's like it's a way of kind of People like to categorize things, right? Mm-hmm. It's easier for people to categorize and compartmentalize. Um, but in, in truth, that doesn't always mean that, right? Not like, at all. It, you don't, I mean, the guy that looks like the craziest guy could be the nicest guy. And the guy that's, you know, the trim and proper looking guy might take all your money because he's your attorney. Uh, your attorney and right? he took it all in a scam. Yeah. So you just, you can't really tell who we are and what everybody else is. It's like we're all telling each other what to do and what to be. And I think that's part of what this movie is, is that it's like we're not just one thing. Like, and that's what that play at the end when he's talking about, like, look at these Look at these Twitter, 384 shares. Oh, man. You know, and he's like, but did he know? He moved to Florida 10 years ago. So we're talking, what we're talking about is at the intro of the play or was it the, after the play? It was after he pushes them around and then the guy comes, the death comes out of the crowd and shoots and everybody gets scared. He turns off the light and then he turns on the screen and the screen has on the projection screen behind he's him. got the highlight of the tweets from random people who didn't even know Kofi and are commemorating or his met life. him once yeah. you know and this is what people do uh, the, this is just what people do and i love that this movie did not shy away from it but people make things about them all of the time uh mm-hmm. even death it's it's a sense of selfishness that I cannot wrap my head around and cannot seem to figure out how to pierce through when it comes to the public. I'm sure I'm I do it in some regards that I'm not cognizant of as well. I'm sure we all do, but the way it's portrayed in this movie, it is the disgusting version of it that you see on social media where somebody grabs a hold of some tragedy and they make it about them. 
So 350 likes and yeah. 200 retweets from a lady who lives in Florida who says, me and Kofi grew up and together, and he oh, was always... Yeah, I can't believe this happened. Uh, yeah. He was always really nice to me, and, and he... Don't forget to like this tweet and share it with all your friends. That's the last line. And yeah. we see that all over the place. I don't know, man. So that's what I loved about that play is that he has several different things. And he says, was this coffee? Was this really coffee? Because he's dressed as the preacher from right. the very beginning, right? Yeah. And, he, and the preacher's in the crowd. And everybody that's in that crowd is basically from the neighborhood, right? They And he asks, like, ma'am, you knew coffee. You know, what was he? And he's like, well, he used to come and, you keep you know, calling him coffee. Yeah, Kofi. Kofi. Kofi, sorry. Kofi. 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 It's very Pokemon. Yeah. Anyways, um, but, you know, he's asking him. Then he asks his da- granddad, like, what did you know about coffee? And he was like. Kofi. Kofi, sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Anyways. Um, I just know how to say it because one of my favorite wrestlers, his name's Kofi. Oh, Kofi? Kofi okay. Kingston. So he asked Danny Glover and then uh, he's like, well, he used to, after football practice, he used to stay with me every night or every day and help me put up all the football pads and all that stuff up. And then he asked his friend, he's like, well, he taught, He said some really horrible things to me ever. You know, that was the last time I saw him. This goes back to what you were saying. Yeah. Uh, we're so many different things to different people. Exactly. But And he said, but he also was the first one to jump in when the other kids jumped me in the group home. He jumped right. in and fought for me then. You know? So it's like, and that's when he said, people aren't the same all the time. And I, I really, it's true because... While we may do bad things sometimes to people, or like we've had this discussion, does that make you a villain? Did that make Kofi a villain? You know, like that he was. We might have to revisit that whole villain conversation oh someday, gonna... dog, because we missed we missed a bunch of them. And yeah. looking in hindsight, yeah, yeah because yeah. you could you could categorize him as you know a villain, like you said, um, he could be he could be the guy because he's always on them, but they extend him olive branch and then. He uses that to betray them. You you do feel very betrayed by that. You're like, why did you do that? But as you get older, you realize people do that because it's not because of you. It's because of them. They're still not there. Yeah. yeah. And and I love that Mont's smart enough to not really let it get to him. Yeah. And I love that about his character. He's smart enough. He was smarter than me at that age, for sure. I really like that about him. And Jimmy Fails... Even that name, Jimmy Fails, right? Yeah. It's like, the gosh, last name man. is like, it's, it's you know, defeatist. <laughs> yeah, for sure. When I was watching the movie the first time around, I was like, man, that must be some kind of metaphor. But no, right. that's his real name. Yeah. It's like, geez, man. More like Jimmy wins. Yeah, right? Because <laughs> they did. They, this movie was shot on a $3 million budget. $3.5 million budget. And, and it made $4.6 I don't worldwide. even think it's about that, though. This no. is a movie that... Going into it, you you were a little upset that not more people had heard about it and not yeah. uh, not more people had seen it. And it's streaming on Amazon Prime right now. You should definitely check it out. Uh, if you're still listening to this podcast and you haven't checked it out by now, then yeah. I don't know. Uh, it should be there forever because it's an original. So they bought it, Is it directly outright. So they bought it from A24 and... Uh, they, I'm sure it was Plan screened at a, at a festival. You said what festival? Sundance. So if it was at Sundance, they probably bought it from Sundance. Dang. They were probably in a bidding war with Netflix because this looks like one of those movies that Netflix might have picked yeah, up. Yeah. I think this movie is going to live on for a very long time in the hearts of, and the minds of young people. I just feel it is a coming of age story. We can't appreciate 
appreciate it in all of its facets as well. Because movies, much like people, mean different things to different uh, yeah. upbringings, different mm-hmm. uh, demographics, different classes, different... There might be somebody in, in Rome or overseas who's going through gentrification issues that throws this on and they say, finally, a movie that gets it and understands. Or, man, I didn't know this was going on in San Francisco. It is it is that tangential meaning movie that uh, is needed uh, in, in a yeah. time like this because it talks about so many things that no other movie is willing to really lay out on the line. And it does it very exquisitely and very tastefully and really poetically as well. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about male vulnerability amongst friends. You're talking about bullying. You're yeah. talking about gentrification. You're talking about disability in a certain degree, mental yeah. handicaps to a certain degree. If you're going with the, the Mont is on the spectrum thing. Yeah. Um, there's just such a wide array. The lies we tell ourselves, yeah, letting absolutely. go. It's about home. Mm-hmm. Where is home? You know, what is it? What home is being yourself? Yeah, being put in a box. Home right? is being yourself. Yeah, and I, man, I I love that the male friendship part of this. I love that there wasn't a real like love story, like where they were both trying to hook up with some girl or something. Mm-hmm. I I'm glad that, that was it was bereft of that. Yep. I'm, the love story really was between Jimmy Fails and the house. If anything, there was some kind of romantic relationship with it. Yeah, um, and then the love for your for your boy. For, yeah. your, for your best friend who's there that. for you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, that why I, I love that it, it really highlighted that the real meaning to friendship is sharing one's vulnerabilities, sharing those moments, you know, when you're uncool, you know, I, I like that. And because I think a lot of guys we grow up, we don't have, we don't see that. We, we see guys ribbing on each other all the time and that's cool. I mean, we can do that out of love, mm-hmm. but there's some times when we can say, Hey man, I love you, bro. You know, and most people, okay. strangely, they get those moments out when they're drunk, uh, when yeah. they're when they're high, when they're amongst uh, friends and liquid they're, bravery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's that uh, inebriation factor where it's like, oh, I can, I'm more myself when I have four or five beers in me. I'm like, if that's what it takes, then go for it. Yeah. But it doesn't have to stop there. Like when when we're awake and conscious beings and fully sober. We should be as 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 vulnerable as we can afford to be to the people who are around us, waiting for us to share our stories with them, because we don't know the sorts of impacts that they can have. Um, Mont is a perfect example example of this. Without Jimmy, Mont doesn't have the story. Without Kofi, Mont doesn't have the the parts of the play that he needs to reach his fulfillment and reach his end game uh, or his his storyline to be manifested. So we create results to these stories that people are waiting to have in life we need we need support support is is just i I can't stress how many people don't have support these days for their endeavors that mean something to those people and you can you can label support as a variety of things attention on the internet uh, money being thrown in your direction but at the end of the day, the instant support that people can provide to each other irrefutably is an ear, a shoulder, uh, open ears, time, the sensibility to sit down and, and just listen to what someone else has to say about life that they've been waiting to get out. Yeah, yeah I And mean, sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Like sharing experiences, like go through the hard times, you know, not just when the times are good. 
And I like that scene when they when they wake up in the uh, house and they just start screaming. You yes. Because he's like, oh, well, the neighbors might hear it. And he just starts screaming. And that moment of victory, you know, and that moment of like, they're not supposed to be there. That it's 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 very nice that they shared that. It was just a stupid moment for most, but they shared something there. Yeah. You know, they shared a, a silliness. And it's okay for, you don't, it's okay for guys to be like that. You know, I, I think it's starting to change. I, I think so. Uh, maybe with the younger generation, or I hope so. But when I grew up, you know, guys were much more like trying to be macho and trying to be like tough and like, you know, like the other guys on the on the side of the street. Like that's how yeah. it was, right? I think most of us went through that. Razor Ramon was my favorite wrestler growing <laughs> up, and he was oozing machismo. Yeah. So I, you know, I had to be a little Razor Ramon esque when I was a kid. Oh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I did want to go um, over a couple of things. So the cinematographer, we didn't even talk about this. Um, his name is Adam Newport Barra, and uh, he's done a few things. Okay. Um, I don't really know much about him, but he did uh, the Echoes of a Storyteller in 2010, First Winter in 2012, Thanksgiving in 2014, Intimate Semaphores 2014, All the Wilderness in 14. Burn County in 16, and Barry in 2016. That's probably the only one I really know. Barry is the Netflix Obama yes, story, He did correct? Barry, yeah. yeah. And then he did one. Uh, he did a couple of episodes of Euphoria, uh, of the, the TV HBO show. show. Yeah, yeah, and he's done a, a ton of short films. So he's, he's done a lot of stuff, but most of his short films, these are really the only kind of like movies that I've known that he's done, but I don't know if they were theatrically released. Um, I don't think most nice. of them have. I haven't you know, seen most of them, but... Um, yeah, he's definitely done quite a few movies, and the composer is Emil uh, Mosseri. Props, man. The, pia- yeah. the piano score in this I is really, it. really nice. Yeah, I really, in- yeah, the flavor of it, the what, what it took on. And, you know, the- he hasn't done many movies. He did a three, How to Tell You're a Douchebag in 2016, mm. uh, uh, no, sorry, Minari in 2020, and Kajillionaire in 2020. I, I have heard, and out of the last 25 movies, movies that you named in this episode i have heard maybe of two or three of them yeah so i mean a lot of these guys have been doing short story short films um they're new on on the hollywood uh premise so i kind of like i like the story of how this was just like a rebel crew that came together and the, the local people got behind them yeah and this friendship story that's got its roots in reality and that best friends actually directed and starred in it and it's that's an amazing story like that's i like that that it happened this way and there's a there's a sense of uh, authenticity to this movie because of it and even the director um he's like a fifth generation born san francisco uh san franciscan sorry and uh he's it's hard to remember that i know man San franciscan yeah and people don't like you know people there do not like it when you call it frisco just putting that out there so oh just frisco or they sfo do not, they do not like it when you call it frisco okay man. for some reason i call cities by their airport codes a lot that's the dfw syndrome mm. because dfw is you know laguardia uh well no i, <laughs> I don't call new york jfk or laguardia <laughs> but i do call la lax uh, and sfo san francisco i don't know Okay. I'm, a, I'm a weirdo. Oh, anyways, you guys probably should know this director. His name is Barry Jenkins. He's also from the area, San Francisco area. You probably know him. He directed this little movie called Moonlight, who won Best Director, Best Movie, you know, for the Oscars. A different type of, of vulnerability movie. Yes, but Barry Jenkins actually helped get this movie made. So because he's a native San Franciscan, 
There you go. Um, they actually wrote a letter to him, and he said, yeah, sure, I'll come and help you guys. And he like helped. He's like, you guys need a script or whatever. And they told him the story, and then he helped get them the interviews, I think, with... Uh, with uh, Plan B, because yeah. uh, the the story goes is that they went on the set where Brad Pitt's hanging from Ad wires Astra. on the Ad Astra, right? That's right. So yeah, that's how the a deal movie was made we won't there. be talking about on Film Room. It's okay. a little cut and dry. It's a little bland. I was expecting. I haven't seen much it yet, more. but Sorry. I'll get into it. It's on my voodoo. Yeah, I'll check it out, bro. But yeah, I mean, I I like that. Um, so Barry Jenkins has a little tie in here. So there seems to be a little bit of a kind of a, a little mini explosion coming from from uh, San Francisco as far as film directors go. I think maybe Ryan Coogler is from San Francisco as yeah, well. Yeah, he so. is. Um, back to San Francisco for a brief moment. I'm trying to think of a movie that makes the city look. Uh, well, oh, oh, the Rock. <laughs> the Rock's pretty good. Yeah, San Francisco is such an iconic city, man. Full House. <laughs> Full house probably shot on some of the same streets. The painted uh, ladies are there, yeah. That's what they're called, the townhomes. You've got uh, Planet of the Apes, or Rise, is it Rise of the Planet oh, of the Apes? Oh, that's the new one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that takes place on the Golden Gate Bridge. There's a lot of memorable San Francisco movies. Well, the lighting there is so beautiful, like I was really telling is. you. Um, you know, there's a lot of fog there. It is the city of fog, so it does roll in pretty thick sometimes. Go so figure, it does get right? gloomy. Um, but yeah, I mean, there... I love that they have the hills there too. So it's so dynamic to shoot there with the romantic lighting because here in Texas, man, it's like they're you're under a magnifying glass here. It freaking hurts. It's like everything's bleached out. But over there, like if you go to Napa and Sonoma and San Francisco, the lighting there it just can be breathtaking, man. It feels good to be in the sun. Like nice there's terrain. Warm. There's actual terrain. There's yeah. uh, elevation. There's backgrounds. There's Every there's every variety of terrain. Now that I think about it, there's flatlands, there's marshes, there's beaches, there's mountains. Yeah, it's it's a variety. So why wouldn't you want to shoot in San Francisco? There's green all the way around, man. I like I like that place, man. If it wasn't so expensive, I'd live there probably. But, I was too yeah. young to remember the details of the city. I remember being nine years old and flying into San Francisco airport and living there for a year before we moved down to San Jose in that area. For a longer time, and then uh, that's that's it. There were infrequent visits, but I remember Candlestick Park. I, I saw a couple of Giants games back in the day. Lucky you! I haven't seen they they demolished that thing. Candlestick ah, Park. that's where my age pays dividends. Yes, yeah. um, I I did frequent uh, a handful of games there, and of course the Golden Gate Bridge and the Santa Cruz area. So yeah, Northern California has got a special place in my heart. It's it's sort of uh, my introduction to this country and my introduction to. Uh, I, I guess Sasha's Canadian. I am Canadian. not Russian. Not Canadian. Russian. Yeah, because <laughs> of that name, bro. I'm not even. Yeah, I, I know that name <laughs> gives off the wrong vibes. But that we've been talking about misperception and mis uh, misinterpretation of things. I am no Russian. I am no double agent. I am just a, your friendly <laughs> neighborhood uh, Spider Man. Neighborhood Spider Man slash Canadian <laughs> Sasha. No, but you know I. I really like this movie, guys. You, you definitely. I really hate that it's been overlooked. It didn't make much money. I think it's super. Even important in the award season, like I would expect this film to it to have right? some sort of commemoration. Maybe not in the acting. Best realm. original screenplay. Original something. screenplay would have made sense. Cinematography, to a certain degree, would have made sense. Um, yeah, there, there's a couple of spots where they could have worked this in, and maybe we'll have to check the independent award circuit to see if it won like some smaller local awards or some, some regional awards. It did premiere at Sundance, so there's that. 
Yeah, that's a win in itself, man. For if sure. If I got into Sundance, I would be elated. I don't would even have to win, man. We I, just need a five-minute trailer, bro. Yeah, and not only that, but they're in Amazon Prime. So not only, they got picked up by Let's, distributors. So I, I'm saying, them, man. I, I have no problem putting this out. They're living the dream, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a great movie. It is one that I don't know how often I'll revisit over time, but I'll certainly want to, and I'll want to introduce it to people specifically. And that's, that's the mark of a really strong film for me is if I know that I'm going to want to introduce it to people as they become ready to view it. And, and as I feel like, Oh, you're at this point in your life, you should check out last black man in San Francisco. And that's why I want a lot of kids to see it that I may not have, you know, personal relationships with, but I want them to, to view this movie in like a school setting. And I want them to talk to their classmates about it afterwards and say, you know, what'd you think about this? What'd you think about that? We, we hang out on the, on at recess and we bully that kid over there. Look what happened. They, they turned in, it turned against them. I, I want these sorts of conversations to be elicited out of watching this movie. Otherwise they typically, unfortunately go dormant for a long time. Well, I think, um, yeah, hopefully people will just stumble across it. I don't, I don't know if it'll ever be one of those uh, things in class where it's like you have to read this, you know. Like I said, we had a couple of those books. Like that was then, this is now, The Outsiders. You had a bunch where of those coming Where the red fern in. grows. Yeah, you had to come with those things. I mean, this movie, I don't know, maybe in like 50 years, it'll be one it of those be, old man. readings. <laughs> it could be. We're going to be like old guys like, oh, I remember that movie. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was good. Yeah, that was a turning point in humanity. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I do think it's a needed um, amongst uh, men. I think... Um, I don't think that you have to be a man or a black man or even a black man in San Francisco no. to love this movie or get what it's trying to say. It's not exactly, it is about San Francisco, but it's not. It's yeah. And there's so many layers to this movie and you can pick up on so many things depending on where you're at in life. And like I, I've been several of these characters in my life and I've changed my ways and I've done bad things. I've, you know, definitely done, I feel like I've done much more good than I have bad, but you know, we've all made stupid mistakes like Kofi did. Yes. <laughs> you know, you know, I just didn't run up on the wrong people. And I'm ashamed that I even ever did something like that, you know. But yeah. it's something, it's um, it's one of those not so glamorous realities that happens to people in poverty, I think. And maybe it happens, I can't speak from a non-minority because I'm not. I am a minority and I did grow up in that kind of way and it's wrong it's mm -hmm. absolutely wrong and i couldn't have waited to get out it's part of the reason why i left so i felt a lot like jimmy fails when he left that area i kind of felt like i understood that like why he up uh, because at first i didn't understand like man you left your best friend because even at the end mont looks so sad like he's so alone in the bus at work you know hammering those fishes heads and stuff and it's like nobody to share that story with anymore it's yeah. like it's it's a, but the reasoning behind that is pretty it's pretty yeah. poetic it's because jimmy broke out of that box and exactly. i think that's signified in the closing shot which uh i don't want to really spoil that one for folks because it is a pretty memorable yeah uh, very emotional and uh well, we broke every other one interesting shot uh not this one not this one this one's special Okay, all right. It, but but needless to say, it's Jimmy realizing that the whole world is in front of him now, and 
maybe San Francisco isn't his final destination as far as home is concerned. Mm-hmm. And wherever he does go, it is going. he has the ability now to bring some of his home with him. Um, but at the same time, it's a heartbreaking final scene too because making a home... Uh, you got to make sacrifices. Yeah. And his best friend... And it's a lot of work. It's like, and his best friend understood that. Like, he couldn't yeah. stay. And he left a note for him saying, thanks for being my best friend. Yep. And it's very touching, but I understand why Jimmy had to leave. It just, the city wasn't there for him. It's the not way the city. he leaves. Yeah, but it's... Gently the city down wasn't, the stream. The city wasn't what it... How do you say? What he wanted this city to be wasn't, it wasn't what the city... Nah. It wasn't what it was. Yeah, he was still trying to tell himself it could be still like this, but it can never be the same. But he was lying to himself, just yes. like he was lying about the house. Uh, or not lying, He was but, lying uh, to himself. It yeah. was a lie. To, he knew. He, he, knew he was wasn't. turning the blinders on to it. Yeah, he even yeah. said, I, it felt good to say. Like, it's... It, I, I even forgot it wasn't true, yeah. you know? And that's... Sometimes we, we run that back on ourselves all the time, like a lie that we have to tell ourselves to keep us going. And you got to drop it, though, man. If it's yeah. hurting you, if it's keeping you from doing something, y- the truth will set you free. And it did for Jimmy. Like, he, when he finally understood, he gave his friend a last hug. They spent one last night together with his grandpa watching old films. And then he realized he had to take off, man. Yeah, and, you bet. And that's what happened with me. I had to take off from San Antonio. It's like, it's not where I was meant to be. I was meant somewhere else. And Jimmy felt that pull, too. So this movie spoke to me on so many different levels, um, and I, that's why I really wanted to share it with you and the rest I really of our enjoyed listeners. It. Yeah, I, I did really enjoy it, and dramas aren't necessarily my cup of tea yet. Um, because maybe that that might be because I resonate with them a little bit more. So in a certain way, I kind of want to stay away from them until you know I, I I'm ready for some of these these deep emotional stories that are trying to make their way to me in, in the cinematic world. But this movie, uh, yeah, I'm very happy that I watched it. I can't recommend it enough to people that I know are going to take something very valuable away from it. Um, whatever storyline it is, it might be all of them. I really want the uh, cast and the crew that were involved with this film to hear this discussion that we're having here because it's it's an hour and a half plus of commemorating their work and it's it's support to them in a way like uh, I, I want them to know that people are out there having lengthy conversations about the film that they made because it resonated with them to a degree to which it elicited this long of a conversation yeah. on it and even to people not in the same circles as your city or the yeah. same circles as the culture that you guys have there. There's still a bond um, to be had. Perhaps. Yeah. It, yeah. There is still a truth there for all peoples, even if like you're not black or in San Francisco or even a man. It's yeah. There's a lot of things to draw from this movie that are so true that are, it's such needed in cinema today. Um, and I just wish that this was out in theaters that everybody would have rushed out there and gave it high praise and high numbers because I'm okay with it. Not <laughs> because well, big numbers tend to pervert, things sometimes yeah but this is uh this is an important movie it's an important coming of age movie and i'm 
Sorry that it got glossed over, but hopefully this will rectify it because, man, they made a stellar gem, man. Yeah. I'm so glad they made this. I mean, I actually cried. Mm. I cried twice watching this All movie, right. man. I'm not going to lie. Well, way, way to end. we open with vulnerability and we close with vulnerability. So I, I appreciate right. you. I, I did not, but I, <laughs> I've definitely cried during movies, but I can I can totally understand. There's there's some some parts in this movie that are are pretty emotional and... Yeah, if you if you've been where any of those characters have been, it's kind of hard to it's hard not to feel something. But yeah, guys, go out and see this movie. Um, I'm glad you guys listened to this. If you're still with us, and uh, until next time, until next time.